Again, if everyone could find their seat, we will begin our scripture reading this morning. It is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. There were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks to be God. When talking about holidays, assistant pastors often give one message per year, and we typically give that message during Christmas. Well, last year, COVID happened, so no one took a vacation until now. So I'm here today, happy to be able to preach to you, and also maybe add a little bit of the Christmas story just by my presence um, this morning. Well, let us come and pray. Father, as we turn to our Bibles together. Uh, May we be taught by your spirit through your living word. Uh, We confess our inability to hear your word and sometimes to understand. And when we do, it's hard to even obey. So we cast ourselves upon you. We commit ourselves to you, acknowledging that our need is not partial, but total. So bring your word to us. For Jesus' sakes, we pray. Amen. Well, the Gospel of Luke is one of the four Gospels, and it tells us about the story of Jesus and captured many of his teachings. And you might wonder, why do we need four Gospels? And there are a lot of overlaps between all of them. Um, Well, the multiple Gospels that we found in in, in the Bible really pull together a full portrait, uh, a full picture of Jesus and his teaching. Uh, so they offer like different perspectives to us of who he is. And another benefit having uh, multiple gospel is a cultural translation. You know, Luke was written with the Gentiles in mind, unlike gospel of Matthew with Jewish readers in mind. So oh, the reader of Luke, they didn't necessarily have the same knowledge and belief and even pers- perspective that a Jewish audience would have. So I felt this challenge this morning when I, well, this past week, when I tried to prepare for the sermon, because our culture and our assumptions are so far also from the, the readers of Luke at this time. You know, we, we aren't his original audience. So when we come to this passage, I don't think any of us would say, look at the tragedy and say, yeah, yeah, those people probably deserve it. And I also don't think any of us know about fig trees. Right? Not even us millennials who have fiddle leaf figs sitting in our house. 
we wouldn't really just come to this parable, just unpack it and understand the parable of the fig tree. So let me do some translation for you. Let me give you more context um, so that we can understand this passage and identify where it needs to correct us in our hearts this morning. And with that being said, uh, the main takeaway for all of us this morning is to see God's mercy toward us. And my hope is that in seeing his mercy, we will bear the fruit of repentance. And the best way then for us to understand this passage from Luke 13 is to begin from the end of this passage, which is found in verse 6 to 9. And we will work ourselves way, uh, ourselves back. Now, this parable uh, reveals the mercy of God and our need for repentance. And by the way, if you are one of those audio listeners, need like audio markers along the way, three points. The first one, the fig tree. The second one, God's mercy to us. And the third one is when you're almost there now, is mercy should lead us to repentance. So let me explain a story from the first point, the fig tree. You know, Justo Gonzalez, he's a Cuban-American historian, a Methodist um, professor, I think. He's not even a preacher. He wrote a very helpful uh, commentary for Luke 13. And his perspective just brings so much color and so much detail to this parable. And he said, in order for us to understand the poignancy of the parable, you have to remember what a vineyard looks like at the last possible time when one would normally come look for figs on a fig tree. And he said, when you walk into that vineyard, it would have already been, uh, the harvest already been happened. It, it already yielded its grapes and they have been severely pruned. They all should have been cut down. And one would, would see nothing but a dry, gnarled stump. So you've been to Napa Valley during, you know, February or March time. It's not a pretty place. I mean, it's a pretty dry place. Pruning has already taken place. And it's that in, this midst, in the midst of this scene, an apparent desolation stand, a green and lush fig tree. It has never been pruned, and it will receive even a better treatment. The vine dresser will dig around and will give an exceptional dose of fertilizer. So to the casual observers, like all of us, we show up at the vineyard. The first we're going to think is that this tree would appear to be especially blessed. And the vines are cursed and forgotten. And when we think this tree is getting this special treatment, right? It's particularly valuable because the vine dresser is just walking around it giving actual attention that needs to, to do, to be. But the truth is quite the opposite. The fig tree is receiving special care because he has yet to give the fruit that it was meant to bear. Now, this passage is so hard to prepare. It was so challenging for me this past week. Sometimes it's just my incompetence. I'm just dancing around, not sure where it's going in the text. This time, this passage is so challenged to me is because I keep asking myself, what is the God's word for me? And what is his word for all of us? And it comes to the point where I realize we are the fig tree. It's that simple. But it's so hard for us to see ourselves as a fig tree because things are going reasonably well in our life. We think we're especially blessed. And this abundance of care and attention we receive make us think we are particularly, particularly important, particularly valuable. So why is this case? Why do we think like this? 
I'm just trying to figure out how do we, I mean, man, I got one passage to preach and this is this passage that God has given me. Why is this the case? Just a lot of wrestling. Well, because we take the absence of tragedy in our lives as a sign of God's approval and blessing. That's all it is. We take the absence of tragedy in our life as a sign of God's approval and blessings. And we take the presence of tragedy in other people's lives as a sign of God's maybe disapproval and curse. Now, in this case, if, you, if you're not with me, stick with me for a few more minutes before you give up on me. What Jesus is doing here to the crowd and to us is to put this full break on that trend of thought. Because that tree would appear to be especially blessed. It's leafy. It's tall. It's strong. But it happened to be the same very tree that needs to bear the fruit of repentance. So that leads us to the second point. God's mercy to us. We are the fig tree. We think talk. We think we are particularly blessed. How many times have you met a person at a church? Let's be honest. And you think they're wealth. And they think their material blessings in their life is sort of a sign of God's approval and favor in their life. You think the absence of tragedy in their life is God's blessing. How many times do we do that to other people? Right? Let me tell you, I have well-behaved kids, a wonderful wife, and a job I love, and a nice place to live. And many people will come up to me and say, Kevin, you are blessed. And by the way, I'm not trying to correct the way we talk to one another. That's totally appropriate to say. But whenever I hear that, I tremble at the thought. Because I look at the Jesus life, and I match with my own. I feel like we're living in a two complete, separate world. You know, we just went through a season of Lent, drawing COVID. And Jazz was bringing us the Lenten devotion. And every week after week, we're reminded that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger. You know those statements right there? They're not a flat-footed conditional statement. It says if you are this or if you are, do this X or Y and Z and God will favor you. Rather that this is a portrait, a picture of what a life ought to be like in Christ. It's an alternative way of being in the world that will lead to human flourishing. And of course, when we every, every time when we get to the beatitude, we just drop the last one, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. You see, material blessings is just material blessing. Well-behaved children are just well-behaved children. Your job is just your job. Your salary is just your salary. I'm sure God has all the purpose in giving you all this thing. But let's not us mistaken for something they are not. Let me give you an illustration to help you unpack all the good things that are happening in life. You know, all the good things in life are correlated with all the good things in life. If you wonder why that is, that's just correlation at work. I observed this, by the way, empirically, so I didn't have the data. Those who eat organic food tend to exercise more. 
maybe CrossFit. More likely to be found at Blue Bottle. More likely to be sipping tea, maybe eating apple. Tend to sleep better. Tend to be more disciplined. Tend to be better looking. More likely to shop at West West Elm and Whole Foods. Tend to listen to more podcasts. Tend to read more. More likely to have parents who read to you at a very young age. More educated. More likely to surround yourself with people who are good people, who help you to make right decisions, to make more money, and to live longer. These are just good things. They tend to find them in a cluster of other good things. But they aren't the fruit, the fig tree that the vine dresser is looking for. I might be looking for the cluster of goodness, but that's not what the vine dresser is looking for. In fact, you don't really need to know Jesus to be blessed if you know that. You don't even need Jesus. You just need to be in the right place at the right time to be, find yourself in a cluster of good things. Now, this is the point. Consider the blessings in your life might not be God's reward for your hard work, your intelligence, and your competence. Consider this maybe God being patient with you. And that is so stunning about this parable. The vine dresser is willing to be patient, willing to show mercy, willing to give extra care and attention to this tree instead of just cutting it down. When this, vine, this tree, not vine tree, the fig tree, is clearly taking up unnecessary space in the vineyard, clearly wasting the vine dresser's time, clearly being inefficient and unproductive. What this parable is saying that these blessings, what we just see in our lives, are not so much of a reflection of your faithfulness, but a reflection of God's mercy and his patience. And we are the fig trees. That's why it took me so hard to get there this past week. Sometimes it's just hard to see yourself in the story. We are that fig tree that needs more care, that special attention, that abundance that has been given to us is in an effort to lead us to bear fruit. Now, when it comes to tragedy, Jesus reminds us of the, the fragility of life. And we should not think primarily in terms of blessings and curses, but rather God's mercy and his patience toward us all. And that leads us to the third point. His mercy should lead us to repentance. So who should repent? How should we repent? What do we repent of? Well, who should repent? Well, that's the operating word from verse 2 to 5 is all. All. Let me read it for you. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffer this way? Verse 3, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Verse 4, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Asylum fell on them, do you think they, they were more guilty than all the other living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, in verse 5, you too will all perish. This is a demand for all to repent. But in order for us to repent, we must understand God's mercy to us. We have to see that. You know, Thomas Watson, an English Puritan from the 17th century, he wrote a, a lot of, he spent a lot of time thinking about repentance. And he says, it's one thing to be a, a terrified sinner. 
It is another thing to be a repenting sinner. It says the sense of guilt is enough to breed terror. But an infusion of grace breeds repentance. And Watson continues, says, if terror and guilt is enough, then we don't need this parable, do we? Just look at those who perish in the tower. Supposedly that should change our heart? No. You can't scare someone into repentance. So the repentance must, this change of heart must come from us seeing the mercy of God. And this is what the parable of the fig tree is there to remind us again and again his patience, his kindness toward us. So how do we repent? I'm bringing up all those old people. Um, Martin Luther, a German theologian from the 16th century, he says entirety of, uh, entire of life must be one of repentance. So not only all need to repent, we need to repent of all things throughout the entirety of our life. So that's what set Christians apart from everyone else, right? The difference between Christians and not Christians, non-Christian is not that we repent and they don't. The difference between Christianity and other religions is not that we repent of wrongdoings and they don't. The difference is this. We don't just repent of our unrighteousness. We also repent of our righteousness. Because we understand even the best of our works are tainted with sin. So what do we repent of? We repent of thinking all the goodness that happens in our lives is not of us. We repent of our spiritual pride thinking that we're especially blessed and particularly valuable. And what this repentance is, is if you read Luke's, if you get to the, the parable of the prodigal son, is simply just returning to the Lord. That's why Luther calls us to repent daily, is to return to the Lord, to the creator, like a prodigal son would to his father in response to his mercy. So let me wrap, wrap this up. You know, people who are very successful or those who have seemed to have come up on top, uh, want to desperately believe that we deserve it, that we have earned it on a merit. I mean, we don't say it out loud, like we earned it, but that's, that's where it's inside. We're all recovering Pharisees. Deep down in our heart, we hope we earned things fair and square because the unjust world is painful and scary. Not only for those who experience injustice, but those who benefit from it. It means that you cannot control things by your virtue and good work. And that bad things out of your control can happen to you. To think what we deserve is inaccurate. We do get what we deserve, but not on this side of the heaven, not in this world. So let me wrap it up with one more story for you. In the later part of Gospel of Luke, in chapter 23, uh, Pilate will find another Galilean pilgrim in Jerusalem drawing the Holy Week. And this Galilean's blood would also mingle with sacrifices, and his name is Jesus. And in that story, there's another na- a person named Barabbas. He was a criminal 
who was due to die for his sins and deserve so. He was a bad guy. Children, there are bad guys out there. Barib is one of them. Is a robber, a rebel, who had committed murder, charged with crime of insurrection and treason. And he was a worse sinner than all the Galileans. And he was a worse offender than all others who lived Jerusalem. And we, he should not even be remembered at all based on the thing that he has done. He should just be part of the 18 in the tower, just a number. But the sinner has a name, and it was recorded in the Bible. And this story should remind us of God's mercy. Because in that story, the innocent one will be put in a prison swap with Barabbas. And this innocent one named Jesus would die in his place. The innocent one was put where the guilty should be. And the guilty one should put where the innocent should be. And Jesus would perish in his place as his substitute. And this is a picture of the gospel and God's mercy to us. God does not give up what we deserve. It's because there was one who took what we deserve. Let us pray. Oh Lord, help us to see all life is a gift. Help us to bear the fruit of repentance, which is from knowing that we don't belong to ourselves. Help us to understand what you have told us this morning through your word and help us to apply to them to our own lives by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.